welcome to the CSC Podcast. I'm Phil Haas, Director of Marketing and Communications for Classic Stage Company. On this episode, I'll be speaking with Sterling Arroyo, the Marketing Manager for Shakespeare Dallas. We'll be talking about developing new audiences for classic works, what drives people to see classic plays across the country, and we'll get Sterling's choice on what she thinks should be considered a new classic. That's all coming up on the CSC Podcast. Our guest today is Sterling Arroyo. Sterling serves as the marketing manager for Shakespeare Dallas, and her work there is motivated by showing locals that theater is for everyone. Sterling is also an actor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, where you can catch her performing Shakespeare in the Bar or playing for laughs at a sketch comedy show. Thanks for joining me, Sterling. Um, it's really nice to speak to a fellow marketer. I, I haven't done that yet. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Phil. Of course. Um, all right, let's dive in. I want to talk about audiences right off the bat. I know a major facet of your work at Shakespeare Dallas, it's centered around making theater accessible to everyone. Um, what are the ways in which you do that? Um, and how do you how do you make newcomers, and whether they're newcomers to Shakespeare Dallas, or whether they're newcomers to theater, or newcomers to classic theater, how do you make them comfortable at, at your shows, and how do you invite them in? Sure. So some of the key words in our mission statement are, like you said, affordable and accessible theater for everyone. Um, so that's really the main focus when I go to market a show is this is an affordable and accessible experience and it's made for you. Um, so I like to joke that Romeo and Juliet will sell itself. I don't need to pitch Romeo and Juliet to anyone. Um, but what I am pitching to an audience is the experience of coming to the park and that is that we're in an outdoor amphitheater. You lay out a blanket, sit on the lawn. You can bring your Pizza Hut. You can bring your Whataburger. You can pack a charcuterie board. It's totally up to you. Wine and beer for those 21 and up. And, um, you know, it's just a really casual park setting. And because we have a $20 limit on um, general admission tickets, it becomes a very affordable date night for a lot of people and kids that are 10 and under can come for free. So it is for the most part, a family friendly experience as long as you don't mind sword fighting or intimacy on stage occasionally. Um, and you know, date nights in Dallas, they can run you up 150, $200, $300. I'm sure in New York it's, Four times that. Yeah, the same, if not worse. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, we really strive to make sure that people know that this is an experience that is for everyone. And we try to take down that Shakespeare barrier as well. So you do not have to be educated to enjoy Shakespeare. You do not have to be a quote unquote traditional theater goer to enjoy Shakespeare. Um, it's really for the people, and that's why we call ourselves the People's Theater. That's great. That's really great. I mean, it sounds to me as if you're 
you're taking away a lot of the the obstacles that have been put up, um, you know, over the last century mm-hmm. in terms of of attending theater in in America and, and across the world too. Of it has this kind of stiffness to it, right? Where you pay a ticket, you give your ticket to the usher, you sit in your assigned seat, and you behave a certain way, and you do certain things for the next two to three hours. Um, and I think the more we embrace change in that, I think the the more we'll get a larger audience. So the fact that you can that you can come and have Pizza Hut, or you can mm-hmm. you can you know, do whatever you would like in in the in in the park while you're while you're watching it, not do whatever you like, but while you're watching it, you can really just kind of be yourself. And it's not about, you know, putting on a fancy outfit and um, you know, just going by certain rules that have been in place. Cause I think that's that's daunting for some people, right? Don't you think that that puts a a, a barrier up? Yeah, I used to work at a box office um, at South Coast Repertory in Orange County, and people would call and say, you know, I've never been to the theater before, what do I wear? And in that role, I would say, just wear like you're going out for a first date, you know, it's not a ball gown, but you are here to make a good impression. And when I get people on the phone at Shakespeare Dallas, I say, look, it's 95 degrees outside, you're gonna get eaten up by bugs. You're gonna be covered in bug spray, just like wear your athletic shorts and your Hawaiian shirt, like (laughs) whatever you want, be comfortable. And then additionally, um, we have a partnership with the city of Dallas. So the amphitheater that we perform at is in a central location where it's gonna be accessible if you have a car or if you're taking the city bus or if you're taking the train as well. So we're able to take down some of those barriers of accessibility as well. You know, that's so interesting that you bring that up because something that I I don't really think about a lot as a marketer of an off-Broadway theater, you know, most of our audience is coming from the five boroughs. That's, that's mm-hmm. where they're coming from in the city. Um, so most people are taking either public transportation or a, a cab or a rideshare or something like that to, to the theater um, or walking or whatever it is. And we don't, we do have some people that drive and we have parking deals with garages and things like that nearby, but it's not the majority of our, of our folks. And I guess, you know, something that people talk about a lot when they speak of um, food deserts and things like that in across the country where uh, access to certain things is, is difficult depending upon where you live, the arts falls into that category just as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it sounds great to me that, that, that your theater, it is accessible in so many different ways. People can get to it from a little bit further outside of the city or or however they want to come in. I think that's really important because there are so many areas that are not in these major cities that if it's hard to get to them, how, how do they how do they access theater? How do they access the art and the culture and all of that? Right, right. Yeah, when we're saying that theater, you know, we going back to our mission statement being the people's theater we have to just have programs in place that back that up so i'm really proud of all the work that we do to make sure that we're walking the walk that's great yeah so you were talking a little bit about how kids 10 and under can come for free Mm -hmm. um what's it like having a lot of kids there because you know, at CSC, and I think it's a lot because of our our programming right now. A lot of the stuff we do, it's just 
it's a little bit more of a mature subject matter or it's, you know, it's a Brecht play or something like that where you're not going to have kids 10 and under really there. I mean, they could, but that's not the majority of our audience. So I'm curious, what's it like having kids in the audience for classic plays and, and what, how do you, do you think that that love then of theater and of classics or whatever that is, can that start at that young of an age? I think it can. I remember my very first play was when I was in eighth grade. So I wouldn't have been under 10, but it was Romeo and Juliet. And um, Shakespeare was had not been introduced to me at that point. Um, but I remember that they, I'm sure this troupe is still around because it was pretty iconic. They drew for their parts out of a hat before the show. So it was like six to eight actors. And I guess they knew the entire show and wow. all of the parts. And I just, that's probably where my like avant-garde experimental theater kicked <laughs> in as I was like, that is cool. Um, and so it really had an impact on me, even if I didn't have like a reverence for the text yet, it was cool to see people playing on stage and like, having a community that with themselves on stage, but with the audience as well, had, that had a big impact on me. What, um, what are the kids like at, at, um, at, at Shakespeare Dallas? Are they paying attention? Are they running around? Like what, what is, cause I'm, I'm picturing like a park on a hot summer night. You know, how do you get someone that's eight to watch Romeo and Juliet or whatever that is? It seems like that could be challenging. Sure. So I think there's um, just quite a bit going on that there's no time for boredom. Um, even if you're done looking at the fight scene that's going on on stage, um, you're in a park. Sometimes there's dogs in the park with you. You have your snacks in front of you. You know, you have all these things ready to distract you if they're not quite leaning into the play. But for the most part, they are. I think most humans are born with that interest in storytelling and they can see that something interesting is going on and they're just there with you. Um, the play that we're doing right now, Complete Works of Shakespeare Abridged, is uh, calls for some opportunities to, if the kid is zoning out, it's hey, 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 we're talking to you now, and you're going to come up on stage. Ready? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's definitely, it creates a family-friendly environment where, you know, we're not expecting anyone to be a perfect audience member and sit still and sit straight and, you know, applaud where they're supposed to applaud. We're, we're here to make sure that families have a great night out together. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's key. And it, and it's something that in it, in a slightly different way that we embrace at CSC as well. It's this idea of the connection with the audience is what makes is what makes theater special in so many ways, is that you are in the same room or the same park or the same, you're in that same moment with, with a group of other living beings, right? Mm -hmm. And having that that connection, that eye contact and 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 sharing that moment with uh, with your audience is is what I think if you're exposing kids to it at a young age, I, I can only imagine that it helps blossom that kind of that love for that eventually. And 
you know, there are some people that probably would come and, and maybe wouldn't see another play for a very long time. But, um, you know, I think, I think there's, it instills something, you know, and, and, that, and that love of storytelling is really true. That um, that's kind of innate in all of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're also a performer. Um, and do you think there's an evolution to how as a performer, you have encountered text over time that would be similar to how an audience member encounters work over time. You know, your first, the first time you see um, a play with heightened text, you know, it's challenging for for, audience, for, for an audience member. I know um, the last guest we had on our podcast um, is this wonderful actor, Barzan Akvan, and um, he he told this story where how his his first experience was was a Shakespeare play as a student matinee, and he didn't understand what was happening in the first act. And he was really upset afterwards, but then kind of went back in, was able to embrace things more, and he understood more in the second act. Um, and so there is that barrier sometimes right away where people are like, I don't, this is not how people talk nowadays. I, I don't, I, I can't get this. Mm-hmm. So that's the first barrier a lot of people have to get through. And then on top of that, once you get, once you overcome that, you find different things that echo with you, right? And you find different pieces of the text that mean different things to you at different points of time. Um, how do you see that evolution as a performer? Um, how, how do you see that work? Yeah, um, it's definitely, you know, as as you change as a person, the text changes with you. Um, one example is I did Winter's Tale and I played Perdita my last year of college. And about five years later, actually January 2020, right before the world ended, um, I played the same character in the same play. And I had a completely different understanding. And to be like, I thought I was at the height of my training, my senior year of college, I thought, oh, I I can't get any smarter than this. And then to go, oh, my God, you didn't even know what you were saying on stage. Um, So there's, there's a, that's my perception of it as an actor, but as an audience member, I remember reading Romeo and Juliet in high school and doing scenes from it in theater class and going, this is a love story. The parents are wrong. Romeo and Juliet love each other. Everyone just needs to leave them alone. And then when I was 25, my husband had a contract at the Utah Shakespeare Festival and they did Romeo and Juliet. And I was in the audience going, oh, no, oh, my God, they're 14. They don't know what they're doing. Someone interfere. Like, (laughs) so I just had a very different reaction as an audience member. And I just think it's there's not many other plays like that that you can see almost every decade of your life and have a different experience with. So it's definitely a very special kind of writing. I think classics in a way, classic stories in a way, whether whether it's Shakespeare or any story really, um, the reason why they endure is because they have the ability to affect people and to have you think about things in different ways throughout 
your whole life, right? You mm-hmm. can you can encounter a great story when you're 10 years old, 15, 20, 30, all the way till you're, you know, 80. And I think your life experiences change how you encounter that work each time. Um, so it, it, I'd be interested. I hope you get to do that part again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll see what it's like in another five or 10 years and see what, um, what your, your, your new understandings would be to that. Yeah. And I know a lot of actors have the experience of aging out of certain roles and, uh, you know, showing up to an audition and they're going, I want you to read for King Lear now. And you're going, oh, is is it time for that? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that's another fun thing you get to encounter. So I think it's not always about the text and what the text can do for you. I think for a lot of audience members at Shakespeare Dallas, they are in their 50s and they've been coming with their parents since they were 10 and 12. And so they continue to show up because of what the experience of going to the theater is to them and not necessarily what Shakespeare's work is doing for them. Um, So it's cool to focus on both things when planning a season. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about branding. I know that that's not the most exciting of topics for everyone, but um, it is, it for, is for me. <laughs> exactly right. Um, but I think there's something there's something interesting that you've done recently at, at at Shakespeare Dallas, which reminds me of what we did at CSC a few years ago. It actually happened before I started working at CSC, um, where they did a rebranding of the the logo and the graphics for the company, um, and. Well, would you mind explaining kind of what you've done and then I can kind of talk about what happened at CSC? Sure. So for about the last 15 years, so since Shakespeare Dallas has been on my radar, um, we have had this old English script, this cursive English writing as our font, and then um, this deep red wax seal as our logo and it's very traditional when you think of a Shakespeare theater, like we're gonna have bangers and mash and go see this old Shakespeare play. Um, And that worked for us and it served us well for a very long time. But during the pandemic, we began to refocus on what's important to us and who we wanna be when we can open back up. And some of the language that came out of that was people, culture, education, diversity, fun. And so that lended itself to a big rebranding overhaul. So what we did was we worked with a local designer out here. Um, This is an audio medium, but I have my like new hat on with our little avatar. And we added the tagline, the people's theater to our, um, to Shakespeare Dallas. So, um, and then in addition, we changed our color palette from those dark earth tones to dynamic yellows and sky blues and pinks and roses and a lot of fun, happy colors that evoke being outdoors and supporting the arts and doing something fun that's local that's going to support your local community um and it was a lot of fun (laughs) 
again, you said people probably think it's boring. It is a lot of fun to <laughs> overhaul all of those things and just see it streamlined across all platforms. Um, and I think everyone's really happy with how it turned out. That's great. I mean, it, it, your, your, your logo as a theater and how, what your, your show logos then are and, and how you, how you come across to the public is so important to how people view your work. And that's the first thing they see, they see before they even buy a ticket. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really important that that has the right balance uh, and, and strikes what you really want people to, to take in as the kind of company you are at CSC. Um, you know, it wasn't as drastic of a change as that, you know, we weren't using an old, uh, you know, typeface or anything like that, but, um, you know, we did go to something that was a bit more, uh, a, br- a brighter colors, kind of like mm-hmm. what you're talking about. There's a lot of almost neon in some of our work now, um, that, that, uh, came in there. Um, we also really em- embraced this idea of, of blue being one of our major colors and, and having, you know, different shades of that blue that's there. And it's kind of, it's a lighter, brighter thing than something that would be, you know, a, a dark or a heavy red or something. Cause that, that does connotate a different kind of feeling. Um, and then the last piece of it that a lot of people have recognized, but some people haven't, even though they've looked at the graphics and the posters and all that every every time they come to a show here, is that our art for the last couple of seasons since, since I've been there, um, we have been using photographs of different odd areas of the theater um, as the texture and the background behind the, 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 the text logo. Okay. So we don't do like necessarily like like a, a photo of you know the the actor in the show or yeah. whatever that the thing that might represent that piece might be. But we show a little bit of maybe the brick wall of the theater or um, there's an interesting like kind of tin ceiling that's kind of fading away in one area of the theater. So we have uh, a photo of that that's very distressed, and so we put that on there. So. I think what it's done, even though people haven't recognized it, is that when they do come to the theater, it all has that same sense, that same feeling. And so it's it's helped that through line of, of when you first heard about the show that we're doing and you saw that graphic to when you're sitting in the audience, you're actually looking at the same wood floor that was mm-hmm. on the poster that made you buy the ticket when you're watching the play. Um, and so that's, I think that's interesting because it creates kind of the atmosphere in some way. Yeah, and you can tie in and start to make those associations before you even show up. I like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it can be really fun to, to do that whole rebranding and to really, it helps you really embrace who you are as a company. And it sounds like you've, you've done that really well. Um, I, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> Switch, yeah, sure. So switching gears. Um, what do you think the after effects of the pandemic and the social justice work that many nonprofits and theaters have been doing over the past year or, or more really in many cases. What do you think the after effects of this will be on theater and in particular classic theater across the country? You know, here in New York, in Dallas, you know, what changes do you think we'll see or, or what changes do you, do you hope that we'll see? Um, because something that we're dealing with at CSC and we've recently announced what our season's going to be moving forward. And, you know, we really want to get away from the idea that classics are by dead white European men. We really Mm got to get away from that um, because 
that's not what defines a classic work. A classic work can be many things. Um, so that's one thing that we're hoping to to tackle and to move forward. But what do you what do you think else lies out there for us? Yeah, um, it's it's such a unique position to be in because the social justice movement happened in June, and then we had a we, you know all the theaters released their commitments, and then we had another nine or ten months of closure. Um, so Dallas in particular, I can speak to just in the last two months has really started to reopen its theater market. And some theaters made good on those promises and some were not able to. And so we as a community are seeing um, the effects of that and how the community responds to the artistic leadership in the area. Um, which has been even more of a learning experience than anything last year was able to provide me. Um, so what we at Shakespeare Dallas did in particular was we started a podcast called Shakespeare Decoded, and it allowed us a platform while we were not performing to basically amplify voices that normally get pushed aside in Shakespeare's work. Um, so our hosts, as well as our panelists, mostly have unique backgrounds, being people of color, being we've had a Jewish rabbi on, we're having veterans on, um, who can give a unique perspective on Shakespeare. One of my favorite episodes we did was on the topic of colonization in The Tempest. And our panel and our host were all from colonized nations or they lived in one currently. And so they had just this really incredible perspective that we don't get when we hire a bunch of white people to do The Tempest, for example. Um, and then we've also, we're currently casting Romeo and Juliet for our fall season. And we've made a commitment to reach 50% um, of BIPOC representation in the cast and crew. Um, and then another more actionable step that we made was when we release hiring notices, um, we kind of combed through those notices and pointed out some stereotypically gendered language or language that might come across as not as inclusive. Um, and we were able to fix that and correct that and open more doors to people that normally wouldn't apply. Um, so I'm really happy with the work that um, the Dallas area is doing. You know, we're from Texas. We have a lot of Texas pride. And because we have that pride in our community, most people aren't going to go, well, they're just not seeing it my way. I'm just gonna go to a bigger market. I'm just gonna go to LA or Chicago. They're gonna stay in the community and fight. And so the Dallas-Fort Worth area ends up having a lot of community conversations with each other. So instead of, this is my theater, that's your theater, stay over there. 
we're coming into those rooms together and talking about how we can create change for the better. And um, I'm really proud that our artistic leadership is in almost all of those conversations. So that's great. That's yeah. really great. It's something that I've experienced here in New York too, that I think you know, there's so many theaters here off Broadway, on Broadway, everywhere, um, that during this, the last you know 17 months, um, whether it's the marketing people or the development people or the artistic directors, everyone's coming together and having these group meetings where we've spoken to each other before and, and, and met, but not in this way. Um, and so it's very inspiring to see that kind of what you're talking about, the the work in the Dallas-Fort Worth area is that, you know, we, we can't see each other as competitors anymore. And we have to work together to um, to build audiences and to and to change theater for the better moving forward. Um, I, I think and I think it's happening. Um, it might not be overnight that we see all those changes happen instantly, but um, I'm I'm really pleased with the progress that, that I'm seeing. And I think there's there's a lot of work still to do, but I think just the fact that we're talking is such an improvement over where we were a year and a half ago. Um, so we actually, in North Texas, I don't know if your listeners heard, but there was a disastrous winter storm in North Texas back in February. Um, it left a lot of the region without power and water for for most people, five days, but sometimes up to two or three weeks. Um, I remember my husband and I like took all of our stuff out of the fridge and like packed it in the snow. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're not built for that weather, like truly. Um, so our power grid went out and it was a disaster. And with that disaster, our outdoor park was had catastrophic damage. Um, and that was the language described by the city of Dallas uh, was catastrophic level damage. So all of the water was left on. So all the pipes broke and um, it was bad, um, but it ended up because all of that happened and we had to rip everything out of the ground and take everything out and put it back in when it came time to basically rebuild our bathrooms or our dressing rooms, um, the only thing allowed was touchless sub like surfaces. So the touchless sinks and the no more water fountains, it just refills the bottle thing. Um, so it was a disaster, but it ended up being a huge blessing when it came time to reopen because we had all these new safe equipment for everyone to use. And so we were like, Ooh, how did we make it out of there like that? <laughs> that's amazing. A story like that. I mean, that's really, um, that's a rainbow at the, at the end of the storm. <laughs> yeah. It was scary because we were set to, we weren't quite reopening, but we were offering this series called movies in the park where, you know, our, theater that suits 1500 people. We were leaving it at 100 and play a movie, have people come out and space out. Um, and we had to cancel that. And that was going to be like our only revenue for the spring. Um, so it, it could have been really bad. And it was really bad for the week that it was happening. Um, and then also the, 
the staff themselves are also just trying to survive a natural disaster. Of course. Um, yeah. But it ended up being a okay in the end. So I'm glad to hear it. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's so my last question for you is a question that I ask uh, at the end of each podcast, and the question is, what is a is a, a work of art a thing that exists somewhere in the world um, that is currently not considered a classic but that you think should be considered a classic um, and we'll put your answer on our reading list on our website uh, along with um, any other works that we talked about today um, we'll also have a link uh, to shakespeare dallas up there some other things people can read to find out more about uh, the work you all are doing um, so we'll put all that up there as well as What's, what's your choice? What's your pick? Um, okay, I gave this some thought without getting overwhelmed. And you did mention that it could be anything, it anything, be anything abstract. Barzan on the last episode said it was a sneaker. So okay. it, could be, it could be anything. So I'm going to say um, being outside and not that's not a comment on quarantine or anything like that. Um, it's, I think that I'm realizing the outdoors um, gives us a lot that we take for granted and we sometimes forget about. Um, I think in the last year, especially turning my career focus more in towards marketing, I am on a screen so much. Um, it's like desktop during the day, phone in the afternoon, and then TV at night. And it's driving me a little bit crazy. Um, but I started thinking about it because I actually have a baby on the way and I'm due in December. And um, I was reading way too much information about toys and guides and you know, everything that Google can like take you down the rabbit hole on. And I came across this reading that was like, put the car seat in front of a window while it's raining, like, you know, <laughs> or like lay outside and watch the clouds move. And, you know, I think nature gives us so much that we forget to utilize. Um, and I would just encourage everyone to get back to those things. Um, and I promise I'm still going to buy regular toys, so I don't need anyone being like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just thought it was a really nice reminder that the outdoors can offer a lot of solace and entertainment. Um, yeah. Shakespeare in the Park, for example. So mm -hmm. um, I'm going to say going outside. I I really like that. I think, I mean... The outdoors has been around. Yeah, <laughs> it's the most classic place imaginable. It's every you know if you're it's you're outside, you're outside. It's, no one has ever not been outside, I guess, since the since the beginning of time. So I think that is uh, a true a true classic. I, I love that. I really think it's great. Yeah, I'm always so jealous of my friends that are like, "Hey, everyone, I'm gonna be taking a break from social media. I'll be back in 30 days." I'm like can't do that. I have to run all of these accounts. <laughs> I have to run too many business accounts and do marketing on social media. Darn. <laughs> well, 
uh, congratulations on on uh, the baby on the way, and I hope you do get some more outside time as summer goes on. Um, but thank you again for joining uh, for joining us, and um, and uh, it's been it's been wonderful chatting with you. It really has. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information on Classic Stage Company, visit us online at classicstage.org. You'll find information on the theater, as well as links to our past episodes and reading lists to delve further into our discussions. Once again, I'm Phil Haas, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the CSC Podcast. Take care. Thank you.